honor and privilege of being with you this morning and being able to speak. And although my name's in the bulletin on that blank page, um, I'm really a substitute. It sort of reminds me of my football playing days. That was the position I played, and most of the years I played was substitute. And looking at it, it really reminds me of my position. The only one around here that'd know about that would be Bobby Clark. He was good. I wasn't that good, but Mark was supposed to be here. I'm substituting for Mark. Mark was substituting for Keegan. Keegan was substituting for Todd. I think that makes me fourth string, I'm not sure. <laughs> makes me think of the preacher that was being introduced. He was an experienced preacher, and he was being introduced as a substitute preacher at this little church one Sunday morning, and the deacon was introducing him and said, he explained what a substitute was. Now, some of you are old enough to remember this, but you, you break a window. We used to call them window lights in your house. And until you could replace that window pane, you put up a piece of cardboard. And that piece of cardboard is the substitute. Well, in his introduction, he said, really, Brother Hill is not a substitute. He's a real pain. I've been thinking more, we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, if you want to turn, Romans chapter 3. We're really going to start with verse 21, but we may back up just a little bit. I've been thinking more and more about heaven lately. I know this is partly because my uncle that was a pastor for many years, he led me to Christ and he had such a great influence in my life. He was one of my chief mentors for many, many years. He went home to heaven just a few weeks ago. I'm thinking more about heaven. I'm thinking more and more about heaven partly because of my health issues, I'm sure, Things are different. I was praying this morning about the service, and as I always do, I was praying for you. I was praying that God would use me to teach His Word, that He would bless you through me. I was praying that He would help me to be true to His Word, but unlike the way I've prayed in times past, I was praying that I would be able to get up the steps without falling. I really want my new body. And that's why I think more about heaven. But I think I'm thinking more and more about heaven mainly because of what I see happening in the world. According to Scripture, nothing else has to take place before the rapture. 
But it looks to me like the world is getting more and more ready for the Antichrist and the tribulation period. Since we don't plan to be here for that, what's in store for us? In John 17, 24, Jesus was praying, actually for you and me, because in verse 20 he said, I'm going to pray for all those who will believe this message. And he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The glory that Jesus had before the creation of the world, he wants you to see. He wants you to share. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we be with the Lord forever. In Philippians 3, Paul wrote, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Our bodies will be like our Lord's glorified body. You remember what that was like? The disciples were meeting in a room with the doors locked and Jesus in his glorified body appeared in the room. Then in another place we read where he ate with them. In another place we read where he cooked for them in his glorified body and our bodies will be made like that. John wrote in 1 John 3, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then I like Paul's description. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's just unimaginable. Jesus talked about his father's house. In John 14, he said, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. It's a place where the Bible says every tear will be wiped away. It's a place of unimaginable joy, beauty, and adventure, and glory. However, not good enough to go there and neither am I God's standard is perfection you remember when the Pharisee came to Jesus to test him and he said what is the greatest commandment and Jesus said love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind I contend that no one but Jesus has ever reached that standard. 
Matthew 5, 48, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We all fall short of that mark. In the context for the passage we're looking at today in Romans, Paul reminds us that we're all sinners. Let's back up just a little bit to verse 10. In a passage that's repeated at least three times in Scripture, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. But hang on. Paul has some good news for us. Before we look at it, can we pray again? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, for everyone in this room today that you will speak to each of us from your word. That we will gain something that will help us be more like you. Tell us you have created all things and for your pleasure they exist and were created. We want to bring you pleasure. Help us to do that this morning and today. Especially now as we look at your word. We want to bring you pleasure. And in all things, your greater glory is our chief concern. In Christ's name. Let's read Romans 3, beginning with verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. But now, it's a change in program. He's talked about how we are all sinners. And he says in verse 20, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. But rather through the law we become conscious of sin. It can't make us righteous. But now, a major change. A righteousness from God has been made known. We cannot be made righteous by observing the law. God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. My granddad, if you needed anything, he had it in his garage. 
Once in a while when he wasn't able to help me, I went looking for him. And there was a time or two I kicked over a box of old, oily, dirty, greasy rags. It stunk up the whole garage. I didn't want to touch them to put them back in the box. And God says, that's what my life is like. He says, I, I, I like those filthy rags. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. It wasn't something that he did not predict. He did predict it. He told about it. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Comes by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may think you're pretty good. At least you're better than a lot of people. And God didn't have to come too far down to reach you, not like he did some, that he had to come way down. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said he had to come down to the bottom to reach all of us. There's no difference. The all who sin that he's talking about there are the all who believe in Jesus Christ that God had to come way down. And then in verse 24, look at it. You are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely. That word translated freely there is the same word Jesus used in John 15, 25, where Jesus said, they hated me. He's telling them, they're going to hate you as believers. We're seeing that more and more. Just look at the news. They're going to hate believers. Jesus said, they hated him without reason. There was no reason. And it's the same word that Paul uses here that's translated freely. It means without cause. This kind of expresses who I am. I'm a country boy. And I want to quote a man that I, I like to hear preach still. He was a country boy from West Texas. And um, when I was in Southern California as a pastor, I, I saw a bumper sticker one time on a car in front of me. It referred to another pastor in Southern California, a man that pastored the Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles. And it said, I almost always agree with J. Vernon McGee. And I like J. Vernon McGee. And he's talking about justification in his, as he went through this passage. And he said justification is that act of God that declares a sinner 
righteous by faith on the merit of Christ's sacrifice. It's the addition of the righteousness of Christ as well as the subtraction of sin. Justification. You are justified freely based on no cause of yours, on no cause of mine. God didn't say, you know that Mike Hill, he's, he's a pretty good guy. I got five grandchildren and their parents at my house right now. They're staying with me, and it's a lot of fun. My, grand, one of my number two grandson told me one day, I did something that I guess impressed him. He said, Papa, you're a smart little dude. <laughs> but God didn't say, that my kill, he's a pretty good little dude. I think I'll come down and save him. No. It had nothing to do with anything about me. It had everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross for me. He died on the cross. There's no explanation in us. It's based entirely on God's grace and the completed work of Jesus on the cross. It is a gift received by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's look at verse 25. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God presented him as the sacrifice of atonement. If you've got the New American Standard Version or the King James, it probably says, Propitiation. I have trouble with that word because it's not a country boy term. The word translated propitiation here actually is the same word translated in Hebrews 9 verse 5 as mercy seat. It's referring to the temple or the tabernacle behind the veil in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, the covering was the mercy seat. And it was there that the high priest went once a year in offering a sacrifice for sin, for his and all the people's. But it did not propitiate. It did not satisfy God because... Jesus is a propitiation. He's where God is satisfied. Justified is where God declares you just. But propitiation, the other side of it, is where God's justice is satisfied. Yes, he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love but he's also holy and just and his wrath must be satisfied 
And for believers, that wrath was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be both just and justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, the judge in his black robe points his finger at us, you and me, and declares us guilty. And then he steps down from the judicial bench, walks around to the executioners, and offers himself up and dies in our place to pay for our sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer us the gift of eternal life. His glory, not based on your merit or my merit, but his glory, based on what he did, is your future if you are a believer. He's gone to prepare a place for you. He wants you to see. He wants you to enjoy. He wants you to share in that glory that was his before the beginning of time. If his glory is not your future, it can be if you accept his gift by faith now. John wrote in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the power to become children of God. If you'd like to talk to somebody about it, I'm sure there are many people here who would love to talk to you about it. It can be your future. Just before we sing again, can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for us to pay the price, the penalty that we owe but cannot pay. And to put us in a position where we can share in your glory that he satisfied the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And he justified giving us his righteousness and taking away our sins. Lord, help us to, it's so easy to look down on fellow believers who are not doing everything we think they should be doing. And it's so easy to think as we look on Folks who don't know you to think, man, at least I'm not like them. Lord, help us not to be that way. Help us to be more like 
the tax collector. He said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We're sinners. The ground's level at Calvary. There is no difference. We all fall short. Help us to remember that so that we can be more gracious to those who are around us. In Jesus' name we pray.